1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families on the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we open our lives to you, or at least we try. Lord, teach us what it means to to follow you in our lives, in our relationships, and enlarge your peace and your love in us. Amen. So the next uh, three or four weeks, I think we're in week three of Disciple Like Jesus. And just to sort of echo, if, if you want to jump in a class, the first one is meeting this afternoon at four o'clock in room 303. If you'd like to join us, it's not too late to join a class. But all the facets, all the uh, dimensions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is what we're talking about and focusing on each week. Brian McLaren wrote uh, a book called uh, Finding Our Way Again, and uh, it's around this subject. And uh, at the first of his book, he shares a story, and this is a pastor who uh, is a prolific writer and author and just a well-known speaker all over the world. But uh, his task um, in the near future was to introduce, or so he thought, introduce uh, this guest speaker. And about a month out from... uh, uh, from this event that he was, it was going to be a uh, technology, they were going to beam the guy up, it was going to be a big webinar. He was the guy to uh, introduce. And how hard is it to read somebody's biography? Not very, and so he wasn't very worried about it. But the guy who produced the event, who was putting the event together, continued to call him and say, Brian, are you going to be prepared for this? And it's like, well, yeah, I'm, I should be fine. And then two weeks out, he got a call again. He was like, does this guy think I'm not very smart? I mean, it's just a, I, I can read a bio, you know, and I'm going to be fine. And then the day of, the, the leader of the event came up to Brian and said, Brian, I hope you got some good questions as you interview this new guest. And then he panicked. He thought he was introducing, and now he's got to think of some questions in about 10 minutes. He ran into a room, he said, and uh, began thinking about what he would ask Dr. Singh, this worldwide, uh, Peter Singh is a worldwide author, and, and what he was going to ask. And so the first question he said is, um, Dr. Singh, what would you like to say to a group of 500 ministers who are uh, with us today? And Dr. Singh said, actually, I was thinking about that very question yesterday when I was in a large bookstore. I asked the bookstore manager, 
what the most popular books are these days. Most popular, he said, were books about how to get rich in the new information economy, which didn't surprise me. A ripple of laughter sort of gave, Mo, gave uh, uh, Brian a, a, a ripple, a, a little bit of relief. And Dr. Singh continued, Second most popular were books about spirituality, and in particular, books about Buddhism. And so when I thought about speaking to 500 Christian pastors today, I thought I'd begin by asking you all a question. Why are books on Buddhism so popular and not books on Christianity? Well, uh, Brian felt the heat of that question like he should, uh, he should answer it. And so he, he was thinking quickly and he said, well, Dr. Singh, how would you answer that question? Right? That was a good trick. And this is what Dr. Singh said. I think it's because Buddhism presents itself as a way of life. And Christianity presents itself as a system of belief. So I would want Christian ministers thinking about how to rediscover their faith as a way of life. Because that's what people are searching for today. That's what they need most. Now, Dr. Singh was not just hitting on some contemporary corrective for the faith, or, or uh, he hit on something a lot deeper than a, than a book at a bookstore. He was hitting on something that was 4,000 years in the making. He was inviting us on an adventure that was started by an old couple that lived somewhere in modern-day Iraq, north-central Iraq, in 2000 B.C., the faith as a way of life story I'm talking about, many of you, I know I learned it this way, I learned it in elementary uh, Sunday school class or vacation Bible school. And it's the story that, that Wes read for us this morning. It's such a powerful story that it's not just a precursor of one religion, but three world religions that make up half the population of our earth today. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. We all share this one deep river flowing our way. It's where God tells Abram and Sarai, go from your country and I will show you new land, make you a great and powerful nation. So the story, the first story of three enduring monotheistic faiths in our world started not from a static set of beliefs but with a dare go ever since that day we've been on the move let's just say that christianity like its other two sister religions has always primarily been a journey into the unknown and the minute christianity has settled in looked for power or stopped moving that's when things have gone terribly wrong now like you I like my routine and predictability, predictability, right? I like my cup of coffee in the morning. I like three good meals. I like walking my dog first thing in the morning. I like it. And there's nothing wrong with normal days. I know sometimes when I'm going through great stress, I long to get back to normalcy. But something was afoot the moment God invited Abraham's family out of his routine because that's really in the margins and when we're moving and when we're moving into the unknown, our senses become um, uh, 
more active and we become more alive. Today, you see, the, we call this a pilgrimage. That's what Abram and Sarah were up to that day. And that's the first basic uh, spiritual discipline is pilgrimage. That is to commit to some way to get out of normalcy. Not to escape life, but to pursue something deeper out of life. Now, where do our Jewish friends go when they're on pilgrimage? If they go on a big one, where is it? Jerusalem, right? Christians may go to Rome. About 14 years ago, I did the third most popular world Christian pilgrimage and it was on the El Camino de Santiago in northern Spain going to De Compostela. And it was beautiful and a great experience. Muslims go to Mecca if they can. And though we may not always can travel great distances, perhaps in our lives our pilgrimage might be to Edward Street. Or it might be youth camp. I mean, Wes will tell you that a big part of youth ministry and youth formation is to get kids out of their high schools and get them to a camp where they can sense more greatly God's presence in their life. God gives, God gives uh, pilgrimages a chance for God to hold our attention just a little bit more. All four Gospels are really a prolonged three-year pilgrimage that Jesus takes his disciples and others on. It's a this brief time when Jesus said, come follow me, let's go, let's go to Jerusalem. It's an experience. So that is the first spiritual, uh, a spiritual uh, discipline, right? Spiritual practice, pilgrimage, the first ancient spiritual practice. Now, there's another way that we can interrupt our faith regularly uh, from our normalcy. And we're about to go into it in Lent. What do a lot of people do? What do a lot of Christians do? Doing Lent. And you can speak. It's okay. What, what do we do? What? We fast. That's exactly right. It's almost another form of pilgrimage. Like just some people skip a meal during the day. Because, you know, if it's always one meal after another, always one day after another, we, we can sort of take for granted the, the beautiful things in life. Or maybe it's, technology or maybe it's some pleasure that you want to do away with for a season same thing um, for all the world religions Yom Kippur our Jewish friends do Ramadan is what our Muslim friends do and it's a way of taking out something routine in our lives to wake us up to the moment so we've got pilgrimage we've got fasting these are holy disruptions now later on in his journey, um, Abram and Sarai run into Melchizedek. Um, if you have that slide, Jason, put up the slide from Genesis 14, if you will. Yeah, there it is. So it says in Genesis 14, 18 through 20, And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He had blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him one-tenth of everything. Keep going. Is there, is there a little bit more to that? If not, that's all right. Is there another slide there, Jason? No, there is not, and that's all right. 
Later on, what happens is Abram actually gives Melchizedek um, some of his gifts, and they make this great exchange. Um, here we get the third uh, spiritual discipline, the gift of the holy meal, of breaking bread. We call it Lord's Supper, communion, or maybe uh, um, our Jewish friends call it uh, Passover, right? This was originally not a meal for exclusion, not a, not a just our club kind of meal, but right in the very beginning, in the earliest stories of our faith, we hear of Abram sitting down, breaking bread, drinking wine with somebody who does not share his faith or his tradition or his language or his people. It was a meal of peace or fellowship, bringing people from different traditions together. The sacred meal becomes a celebration of hospitality, community, of inclusion and reconciliation, the holy meal. The fourth practice is what Melchizedek did for Abram. He prayed for him. He blessed him. And there is your prayer of blessing. Prayers. Some of you are really good at extemporaneous prayers. Other of you, not so much. Some of you pray without using any words. Some of you love the richness of the ritual or reading the Psalms or saying our Father together. However you do it, praying at mealtime, at the beginning or the end of the day, this becomes a way of marking us in our normal times because we can't always be going on pilgrimage. Most of our days are normal. Prayers number four, if you're keeping score. The fifth Abrahamic practice is that of generosity. We give, proportional giving. And all the faiths, we learn what it means to to see giving as a deep blessing. We learn from Melchizedek the power behind sharing what we have. It's how we help one another and resource each other. Just this morning, someone came up to me in this church, very concerned about someone else. How are we going to do it? How are we going to get this person through? How are we going to pay this person's light bill? And that to me is a spiritual practice of generosity. Letting my life get disrupted by somebody's need. Allowing us to share with one another. Giving, the fifth uh, ancient practice. And then this, in, in this early story, there are two more ancient practices that arise out of Abraham and Sarah's descendants. You'll remember they had Isaac. You'll remember um, Isaac and I believe Rebecca had Jacob who was stuck in Egypt. And ensuing the, 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 the years later, 400 years they were slaves in Egypt, and God heard their cry, and God redeemed them and got them out of Egypt. And then they had to go to wilderness school as they resumed on their pilgrimage to the promised land. And what was the one lesson? Take a day off. That may just seem like rest to you, it may not seem real spiritual to you, but we are human beings, not human doings. So one day a week, instead of gathering and working and and reducing myself to, to my job, God calls me to relax and fellowship and rest. Sabbath, the sixth ancient practice. And finally, the last one. When they were there in the wilderness and they were resting, they also had a chance to have a high holy meal. Of uh, They broke bread and they called it Passover. And it was to remember what God had done. And do this as long as... As you're alive, as long as children are at the table, so that when you do these things, the children will say, what does this mean? And you're practicing a spiritual practice. My high holy day is Christmas. 
That's when I remember that God came near in Emmanuel. And in just a few weeks, we'll blink and it'll be Easter when, 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 when we learn that love is stronger than death, that this resurrection hope and promise that we're never separated from God, that, that all the chains, and we don't have to fear anything, even death, because nothing can separate us. And so the last one is this sacred time during the year. So pilgrimage, fasting, sacred meal, common prayer, giving, Sabbath, and the religious seasons of the year. From all these things, from these seven basic things, we get all of our spiritual practices. So why do we keep doing this stuff? I'm just naive enough to believe that these practices tap into our deepest need to become human, to become ourselves again. These practices mark us and rejuvenate us over and over and over again because I'm pretty forgetful. And something about these practices remind me of God saying, go. Spirituality is about being ready, says Richard Rohr. All the spiritual disciplines in our life, prayer, study, meditation, and ritual, are so that you can break through to the eternal. Spirituality is about awakening the eyes and the ears, the heart, so that you can see what's always happening right in front of you. Richard Rohr. Spiritual disciplines are structural workouts for the soul. I got this off of the art of manliness. And if you want to look at it this way, they're structural workouts for the soul to strengthen the muscles of one's character and expand the breadth of one's spiritual life. Most people, maybe not all the people, want to progress in life. I want to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. I want to be more of myself. I'm on that road, right? Call it maturity, improvement, strengthening my character. I'm going to go out on a limb to say that everybody here in this room would like that, to grow. It may not be often articulated, but we instinctively know that what we earn or what we accumulate means nothing if we're not becoming the people God is calling us to be. So there's a deep desire in all of us to grow our soul, our characters, our bodies, who we are. Because what your essence is, is way more important than what your title is or what you do. These ancient practices become actions within our power to narrow the gap between who we are and who we want to be. You get changed over time with these practices. I don't remember all the meals that I've ever eaten. But as I continue to maintain connection with God, I know that it does something over time. One author I read, it's kind of like tending a garden, you know, this beautiful garden. Anybody ever tended a garden? We have green thumbs here. It's a lot of work to keep those weeds out. It's a lot of work to figure out, keep the deer from coming and eating everything. You know, it takes cultivating and tending. And so we are invited these 4,000-year-old year practices to do the same with our lives and in our community. But maybe even deeper than, uh, uh, than our character, scriptural, uh, I mean, sorry, spiritual practices help us to come alive. Have you ever gone through a rut where you just didn't feel like you were living? That you were sort of a part of the living dead or a zombie and you weren't noticing anything anymore? Um, these spiritual practices, I think, help us to come alive. I'm going through this 
exercise with this spiritual coach with about eight other ministers in Mississippi. And it's been good. It's called Positive Intelligence. I've got an app on my, on my phone. And it's a practice of being aware of how you're thinking. You know, either you're driving your mind or your mind is taking you all over the place. And so all these practices and it's kind of intense and it's a six-week thing and it's it's about getting out of the habits of being judge or victim or a control freak or a pleaser whatever whatever those those uh, uh those that inner voice tells you and it's you know I've got to tap into it about three or four times a day and one of the daily practices they offer is that of um, getting back in touch with your senses how you feel what you hear what you see as a way of training your brain to get focused again. So it takes me about 12 minutes to walk Luna every morning. And there's a 12-minute button I can push. And I get to hear this as I'm walking the dog um, around the neighborhood first thing in the morning. And he gets you a tune and he tells you to feel. And, of course, I felt the cold skin, against, cold wind against my skin or or uh, to look at something beautiful, and I saw the tree there, or listen to something in the distance. And all of a sudden, uh, last week when I was doing this, I started to hear birds again. I can't tell you when the last time I heard birds chirping from afar. And I felt something come alive in me into my, my senses. And it's been wonderful. What was a drudgery or a task of walking the dog now has turned into something alive and beautiful. This is what Brian McLaren says, and I think, Jason, if you'll put that quote up again, I think this is what you were trying to do, and I should have told you. But I love this. He says, spiritual practices are about life, about training ourselves to become the kinds of people who have eyes to actually see and who have ears uh, to actually hear and to experience, not just to survive life. And leave that quote up there, uh, Jason, if you will. I'm going to get to it in a second. So in other words, it opens us up to life with a capital L. Tomorrow didn't have to be a day that you have to get through. It can be a gift. We only have so many tomorrows left and today's left. And so we live more deeply. The practices finally open us to God. They open us to God. Just like Abraham hearing the word of God saying, go. Or Moses seeing the burning bush or the disciples on the shoreline hearing Jesus. Spiritual practices are about the Spirit. They're about somehow driving with our windows wide open to God, keeping our elbows in the wind and our hands surfing beside the side mirror. They're about tuning our radios to the frequency of the holy, turning up the volume, and then daring to sing along. Abraham and Sarah with their arms out and the windows down. Listening and feeling. That is what we're invited to do. Go in all these ways. Now I could just ruin this sermon by telling you just to try harder to get better, right? That'd be the worst way to get you into more spiritual disciplines. But here's what I want you to do because I don't want to ruin it. I'm going to guess that you're already tapped in to a few of these spiritual disciplines. You may not give yourself credit for it. You may not think you're a great prayer. But maybe there's a time when you're behind the windshield or alone or walking your dog where maybe you hear the voice of God. Maybe, maybe you can hear 
the whisper of God, when you're breaking bread with someone, where a conversation turns holy and you just had no idea. Maybe, um, maybe in, a, in an act of generosity at the grocery store or somewhere you felt God prodding you and you didn't even know that you were engaged in a 4,000-year-old spiritual practice meant to shape and to change your life. All I'm asking you to do this week is to be aware. Is to be aware when it's already happening to you. Don't try harder. That'll ruin it. Don't make it one more thing you have to do. That'll mess it up. Just let it be a part of who you are. And when you hear it, that still small voice, just start dancing or singing and listen to what God is doing. Just maybe ask God how you might deepen what has already happened in your life. What might you do to get back on that journey if you've stopped? To come alive again to life with a capital L? Or maybe to live each day with God in the front of your mind, not as an afterthought? Perhaps you too might, through the drudgery of walking a dog, maybe you too might hear the birds sing again. And that is the point. May we hear all the still, small voice of God through these ancient practices. Will you pray with me? God, you call us to go. You call us to rest on Sabbath. You call us to break bread with you and others. You invite us to speak with you in the ways that we know how. You call us to acknowledge and pay attention to the rhythms of the sacred seasons of the year. Lord, help us to hear your voice. For we know this helps us in the long journey of what it means to follow Jesus all the way, all the way, in all the days of our lives. Help us, O oh God, to be attuned to you so that we can feel the wind coming at us when the windows are down. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I invite us now to sing our closing song. Go make a vow of disciples.